Pastor Chris's podcast. So today is the third Sunday in Easter. There are seven Sundays in the season of Easter, according to the traditional liturgical Christian calendar. The resurrection is so powerful, it cannot be fully expressed in just one Sunday. And so this season of Easter, what we call Easter Tide, is 50 days from Easter Sunday until Pentecost Sunday, which this year is on June the 5th. Easter tide, traditionally for uh, 2,000 years, has been a time in the church when Christians focus on expectant prayer. What does the Holy Spirit want to lead you to do as you go forward? How can you serve Him? So I've been inviting you during this time to focus on prayer and focus on the wonder that Christ is not in the grave, but He's alive and the Holy Spirit is available to us to lead us to work and serve for him. And so I've also been challenging during this time to read the book of Acts, which tells the story of what those early Christians did after Christ rose from the dead. And it's not hard to do. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So if you read now through June the 5th, you will have uh, the book of Acts finished by Pentecost. And maybe as you do that and as you pray, the Lord could help you understand how he might be calling you to serve him. Today, we're going to pick up on the second half of a story we started last Sunday from the 20th chapter of June, an appearance of the risen Christ to the disciples. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now I want to go back through this passage and look at what it tells us and look at it verse by verse. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So we get a, several important things from this. First, Thomas was nicknamed the twin. Other versions say Didymus, which is basically uh, the, I guess, the Greek way of saying twin. So he had a nickname. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, we would assume from that, if they were calling him the twin, that he had a twin. And we've got some twins that are a part of our congregation, right? Lauren and, and Lily Roberts. Have y'all figured out how to tell them apart yet? <laughs> I think after 12 years, I can finally tell them apart. So we're going to see. They're graduating this year in just a few weeks. So they'll be here on graduation Sunday. But isn't that interesting? As I, when I was a child, I thought of the disciples as being these holy figures, these kind of 
um, saintly people. I, I never really thought of them as real people. But just the fact that Thomas had a twin, and we've got twins here, just reminds me. These were regular people, had normal things in their life, just like we do. They had brothers and sisters. They were ordinary people. But we don't know a lot about Thomas's twin. For instance, was the twin a brother or a sister? Because twins can be, can be that way. Was Thomas's twin a follower of Christ? Was, was, was he even alive? We don't know. Could have died earlier in life. There are a lot of questions there. And the Bible just sort of throws that out there and lays it on the table and doesn't tell you anything else about it. He was, we called him the twin. And there's so many questions I wish I knew the answers to, but the Bible just doesn't tell us. So we either have to guess or just leave it on the table and think, well, maybe God didn't want us to know about that. A lot of things in the Bible like that. Questions that go unanswered. Another question that we don't know the answer to is, why wasn't Thomas there the first time Jesus came? Have you ever thought about that? Was it because he had to go out and get some milk or something? Um, why wasn't he not there with the disciples? Maybe, maybe he just wanted to be by himself. You know, when people go through a huge trauma like your Lord that you've been following for three years is suddenly dead and not there. Um, some people deal with that by getting around their friends. They gain comfort in that. Other people need to go off and be by themselves and deal with it. Maybe that was Thomas. We don't know for sure. Um, it might have been that he, 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 he had done something like that, but why we don't know for sure. But I do know this, sometimes we miss something. We miss out, maybe because we were off taking care of business, maybe because we were hurting and we were off by ourselves, maybe we were just not paying attention. How many times have you missed the powerful presence and working of Jesus Christ because you weren't there? I've heard people tell me a lot of times, and I've thought it too, wouldn't it have been something to be there 2,000 years ago to actually see Jesus put his hands on a leper and make them whole again, to bring that healing? Wouldn't it have been something to be Thomas and to be able to put your finger and touch the nail-scarred hands of Christ? That would have been amazing. But we weren't there. We missed it. And sometimes even in our time today, we hear somebody tell about an amazing way that God answered a prayer or an amazing experience that they had where the power of God was just right there with them and that really moved them. But we didn't experience it. We didn't experience it. And we maybe feel like we've missed out. That's why it's very important for us as followers of Christ that we, we, we have disciplines in our life that help keep us focused so we don't miss things. For instance, coming to worship Christ on Sunday mornings, weekly. We, we come to do that so that we don't miss out. But God is moving all week long, not just on Sunday, right? And so we have to do something every day to pray and to read a devotion or maybe read the book of Acts. Something every day to help keep us focused so we don't miss 
It also means that sometimes we have to get away from things. Maybe take a walk on a beach, go for a motorcycle ride, and or maybe go to the walk to Emmaus like Renee is doing this weekend. Time when you specifically go away and focus on Christ and what might he speak to you. But God is always moving and we try to plug in in these different ways, but we always have to be on the lookout for what he might do because we never know when we might be sitting behind closed doors and then Christ is there with us. John 20 verse 25 says, they told Thomas, We've seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my finger in his side and, uh, uh, and place, my finger, place my hand in the wound in his side. And um, Thomas was, he wasn't going to just believe anything because somebody said it. I mean, this is a pretty outlandish thing. A man dies on a cross and he's buried in a grave. And now you're saying he's alive? I need to see it. And it's from this one verse that we get Thomas's most famous nickname. The disciples had a nickname for him. They called him Didymus, the twin. But a lot of people today don't even realize Thomas was a twin. We have another nickname for him that he's famous for, right? Doubting Thomas. And all of that, that one thing that he's most known for, comes from this one verse. Isn't that crazy? Of all of the time that he walked with Jesus. This one little thing. And all of a sudden, now he's doubting Thomas. Has one moment in your life come to dominate your identity? You've lived a whole life. And you've done so many amazing things. But one little thing. Or one big thing suddenly became how you're known, how other people see you, or maybe even how you see yourself. Maybe it was, you know, a diagnosis. You became someone's fighting cancer. Or you lost your spouse. You became a widow or a widower. Maybe you went through a divorce. And that was such a tragic thing that that's... That becomes how you and others see yourself. Or maybe you receive some kind of a wound or some, not necessarily physical, some kind of way somebody hurt you and that became something that defines you. Every time you think of, or every, you don't even think about it, you just live your life, but everything you do somehow is affected by that one thing. Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ comes to transform us. He transformed Thomas, as we're going to see in a minute. And because of Christ, we don't have to miss out on the future Christ wants us to have because of something that happened in the past. We can be transformed. And so in verse 26, it says, eight days later, this is eight days after Jesus came the first time and Thomas wasn't there. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. 
And it doesn't matter that the doors were locked because we already saw before Jesus can go right through locked doors. And it doesn't matter what thing was there that defined you in the past that you feel like can somehow keep you chained to the past. Christ can come alongside you no matter what. There's no locked door that can keep him out. He can be there with you. He can find you. And even if you doubted him, he doesn't doubt you. And he knows his power and he can come alongside you. No one gets left behind in Jesus' kingdom. Because Jesus keeps coming back to find the sheep that are lost. He keeps coming back to find those sheep who are doubting. He keeps coming back to find the sheep that are a little bit slower than others. Or who just missed out the first time for one reason or another. Isn't it good to know that Jesus came back so that Thomas didn't get left out? And Jesus will come back for you again and again so you don't get left out either. It's good to know he cares that much. But even so, we ought not let that be an excuse for us to keep putting things off. Putting off when we know Christ wants us to do something. Christ is calling us. Christ is inviting us to be with him. We ought not put it off because none of us knows how many more breaths or how many more heartbeats we have. And we don't want to leave this world with any regrets thinking, I knew I was supposed to do this thing, but I didn't. We don't want those regrets. And certainly, you don't want to leave this life with the greatest regret, that Christ called you to follow him, to let him be the Lord of your life and your Savior. But you put it off, and you didn't do it. That would be an eternal tragedy. In verse 27, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. This is just an amazing reminder again. Jesus had beautiful scars. And while you look at this, if you just read it on the surface, you might think, oh my gosh, he had holes in his hands. He had a wound in his side. But these were not these were not anything to be ashamed of. This was, great, this was Christ's greatest crowning achievement. That he loved the world so much that he left the glory of heaven. That he came down to earth and died on the cross and rose from the grave. So that anyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he, could, he doesn't have to hide those things. He can show them to people and it proves that he is really who he says he is and that he loved us that much, that he would do that for us. Jesus wasn't ashamed of his scars because they're the most beautiful thing that had ever been traced upon human skin because what they represent. But you know, we all have scars. When I look out at you today, uh, I may not be able to see them. We're wearing clothing, and, and I don't know. I could look at one person and 
And I wouldn't be able to tell that you've got a scar maybe on your side from a surgery or a childhood injury that you had. We cover those things up. It's not just physical scars that, that get covered up. Sometimes they're emotional or spiritual scars that we've received one point or another in life. There's one thing that's true. We've all got scars. And we tend to cover them up. We're not like Jesus. They go to our friends and say, look at the scars. It's really me. We cover them up. And one of the things about being a Christian and being a part of the family of God and being part of a church is that we learn to trust one another and to be vulnerable with each other and to, sh- and to be open and not to always cover up our scar- scars, but to be willing to, to say to someone, I was wounded in this way and it nearly broke me or it did break me. But we don't have to be ashamed because we can say, but Christ either healed me or he is healing me. And so even though this was the one thing that defined who I was, because of Christ's transforming power, it does not define who I'm going to be or who Christ is making me. And so our scars can become something that are not necessarily something we are ashamed of but something that are a powerful, powerful testimony about the glory of Christ and what he does for us when he raises us and recreates us as his new people. But this you should remember when you look around at the people around you, no matter how big they smile or how wonderful their life seems, we all have scars. And it's not something... That um, it's not something that we have to be ashamed of. And we don't have to be jealous of other people because we think they've got the perfect life. But rather, we all should look to the one who rose from the grave and who can renew us and is renewing us. And that's what Thomas began to see. In verse 28, he says... My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is the simplest profession of faith for a Christian to make. It is one to recognize that Jesus is the Lord. And that means two things. For Thomas, it meant, wow, he really does have the scars that show he was crucified. This really is my Lord. The man that I walked with for three years. The man that I saw his hands heal the leper and make the blind to see. He's not an imposter. It really is Jesus. But when he says, my Lord, he also recognizes that Jesus is Lord. That, in other words, he has absolute authority. He is a man, when he says, come, follow me, you obey. And you come and you follow He's also the Lord that we ought to love because of who he is. He says, my Lord and my God, my God, Jesus. Everybody in the world says they love Jesus. He was a great man, a good man. But Thomas says, he is my God. 
that means that he's more than a good man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a religious leader or a revolutionary or a miracle worker or a healer. He's more than a person that can get you out of a bind when you made a bad choice that put you there. He's more than the person who can heal your friend or heal you of your illness. He's more than just the man who saves you from hell. Jesus is God. And whether he does anything for you at all or not, he's still God. And he still deserves your complete devotion. Jesus may be all of the things that we, we want him to be. The healer, the miracle worker, and all of those things. But he is God. And when we let that sink in, it really changes the way we relate to him. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. We see Jesus in a thousand ways, or we can if we have eyes to see. I, over the course of 12 years here at Pleasant Grove, I've seen Jesus so many times in so many different situations. I have forgotten many of them, but I've seen him working in your lives all throughout these times putting pieces together, bringing people together in different ways that just couldn't have happened if it were people that were manipulating it. But when God is working, things happen. And we, it is good to see Jesus at work. It builds us up. It, it affirms our faith. When we're immature in the faith, Sometimes we cling to those sightings, those things that we see that prove that God is real and that Jesus is there. But as we begin to mature and grow in our faith, the hope is that we don't have to depend on the signs and wonders so much. It's always good to see them. But our goal is to grow up so that we can walk by faith and not by sight. So that even if we go for a time without seeing anything at all, our faith is not shaken because we know that Christ is risen. But because Jesus knows that we have needs and that we are frail and we're weak, Jesus gave us a sign to remind us of our Lord and our God. That sign today is Holy Communion. This sign sacrament, Jesus instructed us to practice again and again to remember him. It reminds us of his nail-scarred body freely given to us. It reminds us of the blood that he shed for our sins because his love has no end. It reminds us that he is that he died, but it also reminds us that he is not dead. He is alive. Here he is among us today. Just as he came back so Thomas could believe, he comes to us today as we celebrate Holy Communion. Have you missed 
Jesus before? Were you like Thomas? And you were not there when everybody else saw him. Were you off somewhere else? Did you miss the miracles? Have you been like Thomas? And you doubted because of something that happened in your life. Today, in the bread and in the wine, you are seeing a miracle right now. Don't miss it. Because Christ came back for you today, just like he came back for Thomas. And so as we have this sacrament, come, touch the nail-scarred hands as you hold the bread in yours. Come place your hand in the spear wound in Jesus' side as you partake of the cup of wine. These are glorious, beautiful scars Jesus reveals to you today to show you his love. The last meal Jesus had before he was crucified was with his disciples. And at that meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body that is given for you. Likewise, after the meal, he took the bread, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, remember me. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, Thank you for giving yourself for us on this earth, through your life, on the cross, through your death, and through the resurrection to eternal life on the third day. Help us to see you here with us now. We pray, O oh God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and this wine, that they might be for us the body and blood of Christ. And pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here that we might be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.